Uh, my name is Kylie. I'm part of the team here at One Heart Church. And um, uh, I just want to um, start by reading a Bible verse. That's a good place to start, isn't it? So, if I got my PowerPoint there. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 8. Uh, it's Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. That's why we call it Corinthians. Uh, I planted the seed in your hearts, Paul says, and Apollo watered it. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their hard work. So Paul shows us that sometimes uh, we can be planting seeds of faith in Jesus into people's hearts, people's lives. Sometimes we can be cultivating it, you know, answering people's questions and, and, uh, and watering that seed of faith. And sometimes we can be on the very exciting end where we actually get to be walking alongside a person as they make that decision to commit their life to Jesus. But Paul shows us it's, it's God who does the work though, isn't it? And you might do this bit or that, but, but ultimately it's God who's doing the work. It's God's business to transform people's hearts uh, and he gets us to be involved in the process, right? Same, I agree as well. Um, so, but what would have happened to those people if Paul didn't say anything to them about Jesus, if he hadn't have gone there? And what would have happened if Apollos hadn't have gone there and if Apollos hadn't have said anything? Nothing would have happened to those people. They wouldn't have become Christians. There wouldn't have been a church here, right? So it's actually a little bit more than God just kind of partners with us and lets us be part of the process. God has set it up in his infinite wisdom that he requires us to be part of that process of sharing his word. It's, it's about filling the spiritual buckets of people, isn't it? So I want to ask this morning, do we really believe this? <laughs> it's a rhetorical one though, that's okay. I'm going to get you to put your hands up lots during the day and I've got lots of stats for you as well. I like evidence-based stuff, so lots of stats here today. We'll take our own poll, it's going to be awesome. But just get you to think about that. Do I really believe this? Because here's my first study. I read this, uh, I think it was a Barna study, um, and it said a full one-third of born-again Christians did not believe that it was their role or responsibility to share about the work of Jesus in their lives. One third. So that's like if this is all the Christians in the world, a whole section went, not really my job, is it? And left it to, I don't know, the preachers at church or something like that. One third of Christians didn't, didn't believe. And that uh, number is actually rising since the 80s when this Barnard study's been happening, that number just keeps rising a little bit each year of Christians saying, it's not my responsibility, it's not my role to share about Jesus. So what do we really believe about that? Is it our role? Can you say, yeah, I know it's my role? What is, again, that's rhetorical. I tell you what, I'll point at you when I want you to answer though, Okay? Okay. Okay, I'll tell you one more time. So I'll point at you when I want you to answer. Okay? Good work, good work. I love the participation, that's good. So what does the word say about that 
2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And that's only one of multiple scriptures, obviously. The Bible makes it clear that we speak for Christ. We are God's ambassadors. He's working through us to bring the world to Jesus. So the question then becomes, if we do believe this, if we do know this, are we being fruitful in this? Again, rhetorical, you did very well. Are we being fruitful in this? And do we even know what it means to be fruitful in this? What fruit are we actually looking for and how can we stop being frustrated in that? Sometimes when I'm very privileged to preach and I see my name on the roster and I think, Lord, what on earth will I speak about to these people? Because what have I possibly got that anyone doesn't know already or, or whatever? But this time I was very blessed because God gave me a really clear word. Not for you, for me. <laughs> How weird is that? But for me, a really clear word about what he wanted me to speak about today. It's in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 27 verse 2. It says, In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. So that's what I want to do today. I want to sing. I'm definitely not going to sing. This is metaphorical. I'm going to sing a song about a fruitful vineyard. As in, I want to paint a picture about what it looks like when we are being fruitful in the work of God. Because, you know, halfway through farming, before the fruit has come, when the frosts come or the rains don't come, you can get discouraged, can't you? And you can get sidetracked and you can get worried and you can feel like, what are we even doing here? And, but it, if we just focus on that harvest, if we focus on the end product, it refires us up, it recommits us, refocuses us. It gives us the strength to go, come on, pull yourself together, me, and, and keep going towards that goal because we're looking for the harvest. It helps us not get sidetracked. I had an excellent example of this the other day. Um, my darling daughter, Amy... Uh, was on her L's. She's on her P's now, her P license. But just in that last like two weeks of her being on her L's and she's feeling like I totally know how to drive. And I'm still saying, as long as that L's in the window, I have the right to tell you what to do. Says, you've been there. It's a, there's a bit of tension in that. And she's thinking, why are you telling me what to do? So um, she still had to practice. She still had to be doing stuff. And she was refusing to get in the car with me. Me, I know. And uh, I thought, how can I motivate this child just to keep going? And I, our driveway's not very big, but it's got a bit of a half circle. So I stood at the end of our driveway up by the letterbox, and I chucked her the keys, and I said, why don't you just reverse out yourself? So she's not, it's illegal. She's in her driveway. Well, reverse out yourself and then come around the circle and just pick me up at the edge. Because I wanted to give her a taste of what she's working towards being in the car alone without mum. Just those few seconds. And she was grumpy at me, but she couldn't stop that smile. She's like that the whole time. And she reversed a few times, so she obviously liked it. Um, and then she came and picked me up. I just wanted to give her a taste of what she's working towards, just to 
And that was enough to motivate her and go, look, I can get through these last few days. And, you know, a week later she was able to get on her peas. And that's what I want to do today, to sing that song of the fruitful vineyard. If you've been discouraged, if you think like, we've been talking about fruit this whole year, and maybe you're thinking, where am I fruitful? How am I fruitful, Jesus? Um, let's not be discouraged. Let's look ahead to what we're aiming for and what God's promises for us uh, if we just remain faithful to him. So I want to encourage you this morning and, and, and be looking ahead at, and, and motivate us again and rise up our faith and our energy again to keep pressing on towards that goal. Isn't that good? Good. So... <clears throat> Have you ever heard of a commission? Well, there's two types of commission, isn't there? One where you get paid for like a bonus or something. Uh, and the other type is what I mean today, like if you're an artist and someone commissions you to do a work or, um, you know, the city might commission an organisation to build for them or something like that. So Jesus gave us, gave believers, a commission and actually, Christians call it the Great Commission with a big capital G. Uh, and um, that's our job as Christians. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love others as yourself is, is, our, is our commandment. And then he gives us this job. It's like the one job. Um, have you ever seen those memes? I had to throw it in because they're so funny. Where they go like, you had one job, Gary. You had one job. <laughs> Crack resistant cement. You had one job, milk. Look who the milk is. <laughs> I looked at that one for quite a while before I realized what was wrong. If you're listening on the podcast, you can just Google these. You have one job, cat. It's cuddling a mouse, if you can't see that. <laughs> it's a useless cat. <laughs> You only had one job. <laughs> That's a good one. I think. Is there one more? That's it. One more. Oh. <laughs> That's something went wrong there. So we've got one job. You've got one job as Christians. Oh, when we say we follow Jesus, he goes, good, here's your one job. And that is what we refer to as the Great Commission. He's given us one commission. So everything else that we do in our lives actually is just kind of support structure for that one job. You know, we're doing the growth track in small groups at the moment, and it's really exciting as people go through their spiritual giftings and, and look at their skills and their personalities and what opportunities are in front of them and, like, what is God destined, sort of their God's shape and things. It's really exciting, but all of that all still comes into the context of the one job that Jesus has already given us, this great commission. That's the, that's the one thing that we're meant to do in our lives. How weird would it be if we gave us a, a sculptor, an artist, and we commissioned him to uh, make a sculpture? You know, there's lots of different tasks involved in that, and he can do his own personal preference and what works for him, you know, what kind of space he goes to, how big it's going to be, what kind of material he uses, um, what colour he paints it, I don't know, what kind of tools he uses. Uh, but ultimately, 
all of that is just the support structure for fulfilling the commission, which is making a sculpture. So how weird would it be if we paid this guy, give us a sculpture, and he got really, really into the details about what type of tools to use, and he, and he, and he became an expert in it, and he ran classes on it, what types of tools to use, and he wrote a book on it, and he traveled the world, and, and he gets his PhD in it. But you're going, you're not doing your one job, Gary, to make a sculpture. And sometimes we can get bogged down in the details and distracted and sidetracked and Jesus is going, there's just one job, just all the other stuff. It's about you fulfilling this one commission in that spiritual sense. So, you know, you can be on any team, you can be in any ministry, you can be in any church denomination, you can be in any country and you've still got this one job. It can look different for every person, but it's still the one great commission. Hopefully everyone knows what the Great Commission is. Because I read this other study, I'll tell you in a sec anyway, this other study that said 51%, it's crazy, 51% of born-again Christians hadn't heard that term, Great Commission, didn't never heard of it. And then another 25% said that they had heard of it. When further questioned, they said, oh, I can't remember what it means. <laughs> Just 17% of born-again believers said that they knew what it was and they knew what Jesus uh, had said. Have I got a slide for that? The Great Commission. I mean, that's like going to your workplace, going, getting a new job and turning up and going, no, I don't need the job description or the contract or like a checklist of things to do. I'll just potter around here and do what I find and hopefully at the end of the week the boss is happy with me. What kind of lunatic would that be? You know, he's on his way to being fired or at the very minimum he's not helping the business get anywhere. He's not helpful to the boss like that, is it? So in that spiritual sense, we need to know the one job that Jesus has given us and just get on with doing it, don't we? And hopefully this is encouraging today. So uh, the Great Commission is uh, found in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. This is after Jesus has died and is resurrected and he shows himself to his disciples. He gathers the disciples and he, it says, Then Jesus came to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. So the Great Commission is that Jesus says in his full authority, now go and make disciples of all people, of everyone in every nation, not just some. You know, Jesus takes this so seriously. He gave his life for it. The, John 3.16 says he loved the whole, God so loved the whole world, not just in the hopes that some would come to know reconciliation through Jesus, but that all would. So this is our one job, to go into the world and to teach people about Jesus the incomparably good news. But if 75% of Christians haven't even heard of this, how many people are actually doing it? I've got a stat, and it's a really terrible one. And I'm sure it doesn't reply exactly to our church, of course. But on average, it found on any, give, any given week, 98% of Christians had not witnessed for Jesus in their previous week. 
So totally rhetorical. You don't have to say it all. But I just want you to start to think about who have you witnessed to for Jesus this week? Who have you been sharing about Jesus with this week? Uh, and maybe like the month, the month of July that's just gone. Or the last six months of the year. We're halfway through now. Because that's our one job. When I gave my life to Jesus, initially, I say initially, like within the first half an hour, I thought I had a complete, um, you know, 180. My life was completely transformed. I was completely blown away by Jesus. And I, I thought... I thought, if only someone had told me, no one's ever told me. Of course people had told me about Jesus. I grew up going to church all my life, but I just hadn't been able to hear, but I didn't recognize that at the time. And I thought, if only someone had told me, then I could have believed so much earlier, which I translated in my own mind as, perhaps everyone else who doesn't follow Jesus just hasn't heard yet, and I better tell them. So that was like, as I'm kind of leaving this retreat center room where I just gave my life to Jesus, I was like, I better tell them. So I started right then. I told everyone else on the retreat center, did you know Jesus is real? It's not just a story. It's actually real. They were like, yes, Kylie. We already heard. We've been at a whole weekend where they've been telling us this. We already heard. I was like, okay, check. They know. Who else? And I went on to tell everyone I could ever find. Absolutely everyone. And I invited absolutely everyone to give their life to Jesus, ask him to be their personal Lord and Savior. And guess what? Loads didn't. Just loads. But loads did. Just loads. I just saw countless people through no eloquent words and probably extremely wobbly theology of mine, just saw loads of people say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I didn't know that I had to take that extra step. Or I saw people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking the gift of tongues. Where did I see this? At my Catholic girls' school during lunchtime, just out on the field. We're like down in a spot where all the smokers used to go because we had this kind of two-level thing and the teachers couldn't see anyone down there. That's where I went. Guys, have you heard about Jesus? He's actually real. Let's pray now and also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just lie down against the bank like that, uh, on buses with strangers, um, under a pool table once, uh, on the beach, just wherever I could find anyone who would let me, I would tell them about Jesus and, and, and they'd say, would you like to ask him to be your Lord and Savior? And I saw loads of people did. And that went on for a few years, and it was so exciting because I was getting to see the power of God. And my prayers were never really about, God, I need this breakthrough in this area, because my prayers were always like, wow, you're so great and powerful, and you love us so much. My prayers were always outward focused. And then I got a job working full-time for the church, well, actually a bunch of churches. I was youth ministry coordinator for nine churches and then 65 churches. And to be honest, they must have employed me because of how I was, fanatical about Jesus. But once they employed me, they must have changed their mind a bit and found me a bit unruly or something because I started to get re-educated, which I didn't realize at the time. But I reflect on it now and I see what happened. They were like, Kylie, you've got a poor reputation because I had a reputation as a crazy Jesus freak. That song was around, Jesus freak. People would say, you are a Jesus freak. I'd be like, yeah, 
true. I never took it as an insult, but the people I worked for said that wasn't okay, that I needed to have, I represented the church, I needed to have a professional, I needed to wear a business suit to the office, I needed to learn about strategies and budgets and resources. What did youth groups want me to resource them? Games. Get into the games resourcing, they told me, Kylie. And I started to hear the same thing over and over and over, these phrases about how to evangelize. And maybe you've heard them too. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. As in, don't really ever find it necessary to use words. Preach to others by your deeds, not by your words. You don't need to tell people about Jesus. Just have such a good character. Have you ever been told that? Just love people and they'll find your life so attractive that they'll ask you. And then, then the door is open, you see, and you can tell them about Jesus. Have you ever been told that? This is where I want to do a quick poll. Um, Because, you know, the Bible says to judge things by fruit. So let's see how fruitful this is evangelism strategy is. Put your hand up if you've uh, seen someone spontaneously say, I want to commit my life to Jesus just because they've watched your example and you've never said anything about Jesus. Hands up, nice and high. Okay, two or three, four, four people. So is that what we're going to call a really effective strategy? Thank you, I should have pointed. (laughs) I saw so many people come to Christ when I talked about Jesus. Not everyone, for sure, but so many when I talked about Jesus. And when I don't talk about Jesus, I saw zero, zilch, zip, nada, none, not one. One person who I was really close with when I was practicing this strange strategy said, you, you're going to church? I can't believe it. I think she meant it as a compliment, but of course it's so destroying as a Christian. I'm like, something's not working here. She's not attracted to my love for Jesus, which I'm keeping completely secret. This is incredibly weird and surprising. Do you see that pattern? How many people came to know Jesus when Paul preached about Jesus, when, people, when Paul spoke about Jesus? Loads. How many people came to spontaneously give their lives to Jesus just by watching Paul without hearing what he said, always hauled off to jail? None. You're seeing that pattern. Romans 10, 14 says, how, this is about Jesus, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells him? Unless someone tells them. So most people don't become a believer spontaneously. Actually, statistics show that maybe 3% of people, maybe 3%, up to 3% of people, will actually cry out to God just through, like, personal circumstances. So, you know, they hit rock bottom in their life and they're just like, God, if you're there, help me. Maybe 3% of people. So... That's the, those are the ones who are going to come and ask you the questions if you're waiting for it. Whereas, over 50% of decisions for Jesus 
are driven by a close personal relationship. And maybe you can think about your own testimonies, your own coming to Jesus. Over 50% of Christians say, actually, it was because of what my parents said. It was because of uh, what my relatives said. It was because of what my friends said. And then a further 30, because people invited them to church services and family groups like connect groups, that they actually encountered Jesus. So when we're looking at fruitful strategies, one's got more than the other. The stats already show us what the Word of God already shows us. Waiting for people just to ask you about your faith because they find you so attractive for some totally unknown reason, really unfruitful strategy. Actually witnessing about Jesus and witnessing about what Jesus has done in your life is God's command to us, is God's one job for us, And it's a really fruitful strategy. So I just quickly want to look at this one more time. This is what I was taught, just subtly, by people who genuinely love God, but they were told it as well. Let's sum it up. Don't talk about Jesus and wait. This is evangelism strategy. Two questions. Does that sound anything like the Great Commission at all? And this one's rhetorical. I mean, where does it... Seriously, where does it look like it originates? Don't talk about Jesus. Just wait. Where does that look like it originates? It's not from the Holy Spirit, is it? This is a bad strategy. It's anti-biblical. It's anti-Jesus. So the song of the fruitful workers uh, goes like this. Let, Let me get you to imagine the song of the fruitful vineyard, I want to say, um, goes like this. You speaking kindly and lovingly in a casual, relaxed, everyday manner uh, about your faith to your friends, to your family, in your houses, uh, sharing the good news, sharing when God has come through for you, sharing when you're holding on to God's word, when life's going bad, just, just sharing and witnessing day after day in small ways, not a big deal, just letting that faith in Jesus overflow until one day your friend or your relative or your co-worker says, you keep saying you're praying for me, but I want to learn how to pray for myself. One day they say, you keep talking about Jesus, I want to meet him for myself. You keep inviting me to church. I want to come. And you play it cool. You don't want to scare them. But inside there's like fireworks, isn't there? I can't believe she said yes. It's you and Jesus. Your partner's in this. You're feeling his joy. And you play it cool on the outside. Yeah, that's cool. I'll pick you up on Sunday. No problem. Um, Or if they say they want to pray, you just pray with them in the kitchen, in the cafe, wherever you are, in the workroom. You just pray with them. and, And you know even though you're playing it cool on the outside, that they've had a life-transforming moment and you've been part of that. Or they say, yeah, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll, I'll give it a go. And you pick them up on Sunday and, and they come and, and you're like, what did you think? And they're like, yeah, it was all right. I, I like the lights or that girl Kylie was awesome, whatever. And they come back the next week and they come back the next week and they come back the next week. And then one day there's an altar call and you see them walk down the aisle and you, you, you're in the church, the lights are low, you can let go then, you're bawling your eyes out, your heart's just bursting out of your chest, isn't it? You're like, they don't know what's happening to them at the moment, but you know that everything in their whole universe is about to change for good, 
for their family, for everything in their world. It's about to change. And you had a part in that. And you can't even believe it because the stuff you said wasn't that good. And it was probably wobbly theologically. But here they are walking down the aisle because you said something. Or maybe that person is going to become like like the next Brian Houston or something can, and just plant churches throughout the world and go on to evangelize millions of people. And you just stand back amazed and be like, I had a part in that. Or maybe that person will go on to become a mum of two children and raise them in Christ. And they'll grow up and raise their children in Christ. And they'll grow up and raise their children in Christ. And you can just see generation after generation after generation of people living in hope, uh, living in, in forgiveness, living in victory because of what you said. And maybe you might just shudder to think, geez, imagine if I just hadn't talked to that woman that day. What would happen to all those generations? But you did. And now you see the fruit of it. Generation after generation after generation has salvation, has hope in their family line. And then you, standing face to face in front of Jesus at the end of your life, just knowing in yourself, I don't think we can feel pride standing in front of Jesus, but feeling like you can stand in front of Jesus and say, I was like you, Jesus. I was faithful. I did what you commanded. I lived in your power and I brought people to know your name. I was fruitful to you to stand in front of God like that. That's the fruitful vineyard that's up ahead, church. That's what we're, that's what's got to remain our motivation, to look up ahead. If you feel discouraged, if you got bogged down in the details, then look ahead again to what's currently unseen, that fruitful vineyard up ahead. That's what we're reaching for. That's why we're here and, and still working. Isn't that good? We're lifting up our eyes to the things that are unseen. Oh, that's good. There's just one final thing that I want to show you about this. Because this has been really challenging to me uh, <clears throat> this year. We're going backwards, thank you. Um, as we talk about fruit, we believe that actually we didn't just imagine um, that, God, that we're talking about fruitfulness this year. We actually believe that God is, is saying that word over this church to be fruitful. Uh, God, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you to bear much fruit. That's actually what he wants from us. But hearing that word fruitful all year, I have felt frustrated and I have felt challenged about like, well, how am I being fruitful? Like how many people have I brought to the Lord this year? Not many. So this is my final bit of encouragement and I'm going to put it to you as a question. It's a rhetorical again. What do you think of when you think of bearing fruit in relation to this Great Commission? What does that look like? Does it look like you're seeing lots of people come to Christ? You're seeing lots of decisions. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Or does it look like you being faithful and sharing the gospel, regardless of the outcome, whether they come or not? You being faithful. What did Paul say that it looked like? Because remember in our first verse that I read from 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered. Paul's saying, it does, it's fruitful if I'm planting. 
It's fruitful if you're watering. It's fruitful if you're at that harvest, that really exciting bit where someone goes, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But every single step along the way is actually fruitful. Paul was saying, I'm planting seeds wherever I go. And he never went, man, I'm not seeing enough decisions. I'm frustrated and I'm giving up. He was content in seeing fruit by just planting seeds. In Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So we don't actually measure ourselves on how many decisions for Jesus we're seeing. We measure ourselves against the Word of God, which is, am I being faithful to doing the one job that Jesus has given me? Am I being faithful to witness for Jesus? That's the fruit. Whether you see people come or whether you're just the person planting all the seeds, it doesn't really matter. Paul says it doesn't really matter who does what, but God's doing the work. You just do the work that God's asked you to do. Um, who's that really famous evangelist? Billy Graham? Billy Graham said uh, when he was talking about this to his group, he was like, there'll be people in heaven who will have attributed to them like more salvations than him and his group were like what are you talking about Billy Graham you're like the mega evangelist but he was saying it's not about seeing the decisions it's actually about the faithfulness to God and he said there'll be people who are more faithful than I am he's just the one blessed to have the very last word before they actually turn and make that decision but how many countless people have been involved every step of the way Um, and we're so blessed in this small town of Fort Lincoln to, and the little towns around to, to be in a really um, amazing position where, like, I don't know, if you ever go on Facebook, if you look on Facebook and you see someone who's your friend, they'll have like 30 other friends of other people that you know from our church. Um, and uh, and you, 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 get to be, you get to see the work in progress. On my car broke down at the front of church one day um, on a weekday. No one else was here, so I called RAA, of which I became a member that moment. And uh, <laughs> um, the guy who picked me up, because I needed a ride back to my house, the guy who picked me up, he's like, oh, yeah, I know about your church. I said, oh, have you been there before? He said, no, but I've met Rose. Rose over here. Every time I see her, and I have to assume it's in the context of getting a car fixed, every time I see her, she's telling me about Jesus, he said. And um, that enabled me to have a conversation with him about Jesus, which made it very, very easy, um, rather than saying, oh, here we are at my church. Hey, have you, have you thought about coming in before? Like, he, he did initiate that conversation. And you'll see that so many times. Rose's name will often come up. Uh, but um, you'll see that amongst your friends, and, and I hope that's just an encouragement, that it's not you doing all the work. You might have friends or family members who your heart... Your heart just breaks for them. You see their lives are in chaos, their lives are lost, and you think, oh, if only they would listen to me as I share the gospel. You're not the only one doing the work. You're not the only one in the field. You're not the only gardener around. Just sow that seed and leave the rest to God. And and when they come to know Christ, you'll hear all the stories of the hundreds of other people who were also sowing seeds into your very loved one. So let there be an encouragement to you and If you've been feeling like, I'm not seeing salvations or whatever, I'm not seeing fruit, then that's not the fruit we're looking for. Just our faithfulness is what God requires, is what God asks. 
Let's get into the job of doing the, the one job. Your one job, Gary, of telling people about Jesus. I hope that I've got you on board with how I feel about keeping quiet about Jesus. <laughs> it's a dumb strategy. All right, let's pray just to close. I'll have the music team up as well. So as I just pray, um, if you just, uh, in your heart, um, think about those people in your family or uh, your friends or your co-workers, your relatives who don't know Jesus and who, um, you know, who you just want to hold before the Lord right now. So, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we don't ask you to open doors for us and make opportunities for us because we believe that you already do. And today, Jesus, we want to say, yes, we'll be the people who will do your Great Commission. We will go out. We won't just be aware of opportunities. We'll make opportunities. We'll be on the lookout. We'll be clever and cunning about how we can get your name across to people and your good news to people. Because following you, Jesus, is just priceless. It's incomparable. The hope that we found in you, the mercy that we found in you, the help that we found in you, you transform our lives, you redeem our hurts, you've made a resurrection for us. All you have for us is good. And we want to share that with others, Jesus. Lord, sometimes we feel fear or we feel barriers or we feel we don't have the tools or we feel like we don't have the strategies or someone else would be better. God, right now we just deny all of that. We just embrace your word. You said you have all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go. So Jesus, we go in your name. We don't really need strategies. We just need your Holy Spirit. Your word says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be your witnesses throughout the earth. So we just ask for your Holy Spirit and power now to be your witnesses. And we bring those people in our heart right now who need to know you, Jesus. Open our mouths. Open our mouths and give us the words anointed by your Spirit to reach them for you, Jesus. This week and this month and throughout this year. Amen. So that was my song of the vineyard, my painting of the picture. I hope it's encouraging. And my final thought is to encourage each other. If you speak to someone this week and you see a response, share it with your Christian brothers and sisters. It's so encouraging when we see God at work, uh, even in other people's lives who we don't even know. So share that amongst ourselves as well.